so good morning to everybody. Welcome to Wayside. Uh, today we are going to be looking at uh, the letter to the Hebrews chapter 5 verses, really just four verses. It's uh, chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. So if you could uh, grab a Bible or, or use a Bible app and flip over there, chapter 5 verse 11 through 14. And uh, I want to read that just real quickly before we get started in a little bit different translation. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to operate out of the, the, uh, the NASB uh, while I'm going through the sermon. But I just want you to hear a couple different versions of this, this translation. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 says this in the NLT. There is much more we would like to say about this referring to the teaching about Melchizedek that we introduced last time. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Let me pray quickly and then we'll jump into the the passage. Father God, Lord, as we look at these four verses, there is a rebuke here. Uh, There is correction here. Uh, As we've talked about all along in Hebrews, we see uh, the turn to exhortation, to not just encouragement, but to uh, correction. And uh, and Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to receive the truth of this passage with a spirit of humility, knowing that we are all susceptible to what he is talking about. we, We are all susceptible to this dullness of hearing to this spiritual lethargy. So help us not to think, oh, this is a good sermon or this is a good passage for those other people over there. Lord, help just drive these points home in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Give us illumination, give us understanding. But, but as we understand what these words mean, what your intent is behind them, also give us the ability to apply them in our own lives, Lord. And we pray that for our good for the good of this church body, and ultimately for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now the wind picks up and my sermon notes go everywhere. Uh, So I want to recap just a little bit. I like to do this at the beginning of a sermon just to kind of give, to kind of couch what we're going to talk about today in the rest of the passage that we've been looking at together over the past months. Uh, So we're in the central teaching section of the letter to the Hebrews. So the way Hebrews is organized When we transitioned at the end of chapter 4, we transitioned into basically the core of the explanation section, the core of the the teaching, and that core of teaching is centered on the priesthood of Jesus Christ. What he is doing today at the right hand, seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. What, What is he doing today for us on our behalf as our great high priest? And so the author began explaining his priesthood in the first half of chapter 5. We saw that last time. But now we quickly see the the author of Hebrews turning from that explanatory aspect, that, that explanation of the priesthood, to once again exhorting his readers, his audience, these Hebrew Christians. 
And we're going to see that all the way through to the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, especially in the first half of chapter 6, which we're going to look at next week. Uh, And today's passage really explains why he turns back to exhortation and interrupts, so to speak, that, 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 that explanation of Jesus and his high priest. So we're going to see why he does that today. Instead of just pressing on and rolling right into that deeper teaching, as he looks at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, in reference, uh, foreshadowing this high priesthood of Christ. So we're going to see the reason why today. And I thought about this as I was figuring out how to introduce this. Uh, But just this last week, I believe we got, um, they're called interim progress reports. So the Round Rock Independent School District, where my kids go, uh, the elementary school sends these progress reports every single month that sort of lets us know how our kids are doing in each one of their subjects, okay? And you guys are probably horrified that I'm going to share those right now, but my kids have done great, I'll tell you that. Let's just, let's just throw it out there. I'm going to put your, your, your anxieties at ease. Uh, they've done fantastic. I'm so proud of them. But the point is, is that we get these monthly updates on how our kids are progressing academically. And these reports are really helpful because they allow us to identify uh, changes or shifts in their academic performance on a regular basis. Uh, but if we were to never get these interim progress reports, if it was just you start the year and at the end of the year you find out how they did, what their final grades were, then we might not notice academic struggles as they were to arise throughout the year and then all of a sudden at the end of the year it's too late and the final grades are in and if there was a struggle that started back in the fall we didn't know about it we didn't know to step in and to come alongside them in math or social studies or whatever it is and as everyone knows because we've all experienced school to some degree if there is a halt In learning, a slowdown and a stopping of learning in any subject or all subjects, that can ultimately lead to failure, to failing grades where you you are unable to progress to the next grade level because the next grade level is going to build on what you learned in the previous grade. I mean, just think about mathematics. If you come to a halt in your learning with addition, and kids, this is like a public service announcement for y'all, you, you want to grow past that. You want to get those basics because the next year of mathematics is going to build on that. And if you stop in addition, you're never going to get to multiplication. You're never going to get to fractions. You're certainly not going to get to calculus, which I never got to calculus. So hopefully some of y'all do at some point. Uh, but the, the, the same is in regard to our spiritual growth. And that's why I want to make this analogy as we introduce this. Uh, there was a Bible scholar named Arthur Pink uh, of a long time ago, and he wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews. And I love this. It's a simple quote, but I think it gets to the heart of what we're talking about. Arthur Pink writes this in the context of this passage we're looking at today. He says, by the very law of our Constitution, if we do not move forward, we slip backward. By the very law of how we are as human beings, by the very law of our Constitution, if we're not moving forward, we're slipping backward. And to put it another way, for the purpose of this morning, when we stop becoming more spiritually mature, we become less spiritually mature. The big idea, and I hope if you can walk away with anything, just walk away with this one this one statement 
that's embedded in our passage today. There is no such thing as spiritual neutral. You can't shift into spiritual neutral. You can't sit on some sort of spiritual fence. There is no spiritual neutral. There is only spiritual progress and spiritual regress. Progress, it means to move forward. Regress, I had to look that word up on my dictionary app. It means to move backward. Those are the only two options for Christians. Progress moving forward, regress moving backward. If you're not doing the one, you're doing the other. In today's passage, the the author is concerned about his Hebrew readers. He's concerned that, 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 that they have lost, or at least many of them have lost, their spiritual momentum. They've stopped moving forward in their spiritual lives and they've started to slide backward. And again, there are always and only two options for followers of Jesus Christ. That is to progress or to regress, spiritually speaking. Every Christian can choose a path of spiritual regress. And to do this, we simply choose. Now, you're going to say, I would never choose spiritual regress. In order to choose spiritual regress, you can do that actively and intentionally and just plop down and say, I'm not going any further in my walk with Christ. But folks, most of the time it is passive. We choose spiritual regression out of just simply passivity, being passive in our relationship with Christ. And we end up not moving forward towards spiritual maturity. In verses 11 and 12, the first half of our passage, we see the cause and one of the major consequences of this sort of spiritual regression. We see the cause and a consequence that doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us. So the cause of spiritual regression is becoming a poor listener. That's the cause of spiritual regression, according to the author of Hebrews. It's becoming a poor listener. Look at verse 11 with me, and it's going to, the NASB uh, 2020 version, I think, is going to come up on the, sp- on the screen. But let me read this to you. He writes in verse 11, concerning him, that is Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain since you have become poor listeners. So the author of Hebrews he, he has a pastoral heart. He has the heart of a preacher. He, he wants his readers to understand more and more the deeper things of God's word and the reality of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us in the past and what he's doing right now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father as our great exalted high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And these teachings, which we're going to see them spelled out in detail in chapters 7 through 10, these teachings aren't especially complicated. Please don't fall into the idea that all this stuff about Melchizedek and the priesthood of Jesus Christ, it's so complicated. That's so, um, that's like the uh, uh, talented and gifted Christian life. Uh, You know, that's the honors program in the Christian life. I can't understand all that. Guys, it's not the material that's inherently complicated. He's not blaming the material. He's going to go ahead and, and, and uh, speak to the material in chapters 7 through 10. What he's saying is the problem is inherent in us, in our ability to listen. 
This phrase, poor listeners, this also gets translated as dull of hearing or sometimes as too lazy to understand. And that Greek term for for dull or lazy or sluggish, depending on how it's translated in your version, that Greek term also shows up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. And that's important to take note of because it essentially becomes a bookend for this entire warning passage at the end of Hebrews 5 into the first half of Hebrews 6. That word for dull or sluggish, and sometimes it actually gets translated two different ways, which is unfortunate. Uh, I understand why they do it, but, but it's the same Greek term, that dull, lazy, sluggish, it shows up. So it bookends this whole warning passage. And this is going to be really important next week when we get to one of the hardest uh, In terms of interpretation, one of the most difficult passages in the book of Hebrews, it's going to make, it's going to matter that the whole passage begins and ends with this concept of of spiritual laziness, of lethargy. Uh, uh, And we're going to be looking at that in detail over the next couple Sundays as we dig more into this warning passage. But it's important to understand that the author is warning his readers and by extension us against a spiritual laziness that leads to poor listening and ultimately to spiritual regression, to sliding backward. Now, one of the consequences of this sort of spiritual regression, this is so important, one of the consequences of of not progressing forward in our Christian faith and sliding backward is, is that we become poor teachers. We don't become the teachers that God is calling us to in terms of our relationship with others. Look at verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So instead of teaching others, which is what God is calling us to do as we mature, these folks needed to brush up on what can literally be translated as the ABCs of the Christian faith. That Greek term is basically referring to the, the ABCs, one, two, threes of the Christian faith. The elementary principles of the actual words of God, that refers to the basic Christian teaching. And it probably also includes how the early church understood the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, in light of the teaching of Christ and his apostles. These are the basics. The, these basic teachings, or, or as they're referred to, this, this milk, this sort of pre-digested nourishment, uh, it would have been appropriate for newer believers, absolutely, to go over these basics. But these Hebrew Christians, based on the context of our passage, had been in the faith long enough not to necessarily need just milk anymore. They had been in the faith long enough to be learning the deeper truths from Scripture. That is the so-called solid food. And then not just learning more and more about these deeper teachings, but then actually teaching others from God's Word. And we need to pay close attention to a couple things here. First of all, every Christian, I'm going to wrestle with you on this one, okay? Every Christian is is expected to grow and mature and eventually be able to teach the basic truths of Christianity, of the Christian faith to others. Now, don't give me the, and I've done this before, okay, right? But don't give me that, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. I'm not called to be a teacher. Listen, yes, there are people that are explicitly called to teach 
and preach in the local church. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not what the author is talking about here. What he's talking about is a universal calling on every Christian man and woman to, to grow in their faith to the, to the degree that they can explain the basics of the Christian faith to others. So that's the first thing we need to pay attention to. And the second thing we need to pay attention to is that if we regress spiritually, then rather than becoming a blessing to other Christians who might learn from us and non-Christians who might learn about the Christian faith through us and the gospel, instead of becoming a blessing to others, we actually become a burden to other Christians who have to constantly reteach us over and over again the basics of the faith that we should have a good hold on, a good understanding of, and a firm faith in. I'm not saying we don't need to preach the gospel to ourselves every morning and remind each other of the powerful truth of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these basic teachings of Christian faith that we need to grab onto and allow them to become a foundation for us to grow in our faith and us to, to, to understand more and more about God's amazing word and, and who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. I, I hope that makes sense. Every Christian can choose a path of spiritual regression, and it's as simple as not taking the next step forward in your spiritual journey. That's all you have to do to regress spiritually. Just don't take the next step. Whatever it is, God, that's too much. That step is too far. It looks too difficult. I'm just too tired. Whatever it is, that's all we have to do to choose spiritual regression. As far as I can tell, and I went back and looked at our content schedule, as far as I can tell, this is the 150th sermon that I've preached at Wayside today. The 150th sermon. And I, I calculated, I was like, all of them, usually, they're at least 30 minutes. So that means that I've spent somewhere between 75 and 85 hours up here preaching and teaching at Wayside. And I went back and I looked, and we've preached through... Uh, uh, the parts of Genesis, the first 12 chapters in Genesis, uh, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Isaiah, parts of Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of the Gospels, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians. These have been all our sermon series that we've done over the past couple of years. We've also done group studies. We've done group studies in the book of Acts, in Romans, in First Peter, in Ruth and Esther, in Ecclesiastes, going way back for some of you guys. Reikley, you remember that. Uh, don't, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, uh, I think that's back when we needed the basic teachings of the Christian faith, because we weren't. Uh, and then also Malachi. Uh, and on top of all that, we've worked through curriculum on uh, basic Christian discipleship, evangelism, spiritual disciplines, the unity of the Bible, Christian marriage and parenting, and gospel fluency. Think about all the teaching and preaching we've experienced here at Wayside. And, and needless to say, in all of that, we have certainly covered at least the basics of the Christian faith. At least. But hear me out on this. I'm not patting us on the back. Because the spiritual maturity of a local body of believers, the spiritual maturity of a corporate of a local body of believers is not based on how many books of the Bible you've gone through in your sermon series over the years. You know, 
By God's grace, if we continue another five years in the future, we'll have gone through more books of the Bible. But that in and of itself is not an indicator of our spiritual maturity. The spiritual success of a local church, folks, is based on how many of our members would feel comfortable walking someone through the Gospel of Mark or walking someone through the high points of the Gospel of John or even just explaining the Gospel message itself. But no church will ever reach this mark of maturity if its members are moving away from maturity on a path of spiritual regression. And this is one of the many reasons that I love Kevin and Amanda Reichley. So this is on your anniversary week, guys. Kevin is constantly, and you know this if you've ever been in a group with Kevin, he's constantly challenging the guys in his Bible study group to lead the lessons each week. When we used to meet together on Tuesday mornings at Rudy's, um, Kevin was always asking for volunteers to lead the next group lesson. And if nobody volunteered, somebody got voluntold. That's just how it rolled out, okay? So as we cycled through these Bible studies at Rudy's, everyone in the group, no matter how prepared they felt, uh, you know, he would come alongside them, see if they had any questions, help them out as much as possible. But everyone was leading group. Everyone was leading these Bible study lessons. And, and that's something that we've carried on into our group on Tuesday nights. And most of our groups now are doing that, that rotating leadership. Uh, but then I think about uh, Amanda. Similarly, Amanda is always challenging the women of our church to lead Bible studies and discipleship groups. If you're a woman in our church, chances are, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, chances are Amanda Reichley has come knocking and she said, you know what? What do you think about leading a group? What do you think about leading a Bible study group or a discipleship group this semester? I know that that's happened with so many of our ladies, and it's a beautiful thing because every semester I am amazed at how many new people are stepping up to lead women's Bible study groups and, and women's discipleship groups. And all of them, yeah, I, I, you know, even we talk about this, Stacy and I, but Everyone's kind of like hesitant, like, I'm not a Bible study group leader. I'm not a, I can't teach. I can't lead these things. But you know what? Once people step up after that loving uh, nudge, uh, I see it growing our women spiritually. I see them taking joy in organizing these studies in these group times and growing spiritually. And that's the point, folks. And so I hope every one of you gets a knock on the door or a phone call from Amanda Reichley in that way. Guys, the Reichleys remind us that it's never okay to just drift in our spiritual lives, in our Christian walk. We need to be challenged and we need to challenge one another to grow and to develop and to become more mature in our faith. Because if we don't, we will inevitably regress and we will find ourselves once again needing a refresher course on even our most basic Christian beliefs, and we will lack confidence in Christ, and, and we will lack assurance in the truth of God's word, in the reality and truth of God's promises. And we can't afford that. So I want everyone at Wayside, this includes everyone that's, that's on Zoom with us, to know that we are going to go out of our way to challenge every single Christian that God has, in His grace, made us stewards over at this church body 
Every single Christian, we're going to challenge you to move forward toward maturity and a maturity characterized by an ever-deepening depth of learning, but not just that, an ever-widening breadth of teaching and equipping others. So in verses 11 and 12, we see the cause and the consequence of spiritual regression. But Christ has so much more for us. If only we will take the next step forward in our spiritual journey. Every Christian can choose a path of spiritual progress. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. It's the last half of our, of our passage. And here we're going to see both the starting line and the finish line of our Christian journey. So first, let's look at the starting line. Look at verse 13 with me. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Every Christian begins his or her faith journey in a sort of spiritual infancy. And that even that's true if you grew up in the church, you know, and you're, you know, your dad was a pastor and you went to Bible college, then later on you ended up realizing that you never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you put your faith in Christ. Uh, even then, even with all that background information, you're still going to begin your Christian journey in a sort of spiritual infancy. And the author uses the analogy, which I think is a brilliant analogy, and it shows up a lot in, in uh, 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 literature of the ancient Greek period, the Hellenistic period. You see this analogy used a lot by writers. But, but I think it's brilliant. It's this idea of needing milk, this idea of needing pre-digested nourishment because you're not weaned yet. And he likens that milk to the elementary teachings of God's word. So now the author is going to describe this spiritual infancy as being unacquainted with the word of righteousness. Let's talk about that phrase, unacquainted with the word of righteousness. The term that gets translated here is unacquainted with. It speaks to a lack of skill or experience with something. And in this case, it's a lack of experience with the teaching about righteousness, which is probably referring to the ethical teachings of God's word. Now, there's a technical use where righteousness is used with like Paul, for instance, in the sense of our being wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, our righteous standing in Christ before God. But it seems like this is more focused on the ethical uh, and, and moral aspect of righteousness. But this teaching about righteousness. In other words, Christians begin their journey of faith. We begin our journey of faith with relative inexperience with God's word, especially in terms of what it teaches about living righteously and how we actually live out that righteousness to which it speaks. So that's our starting point. Now let's look at our finish line. Look at the final verse, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. So again, the, the, the solid food here consists of the deeper teachings of the Christian faith. Topics like the high priesthood of Jesus Christ that he just referenced last week. These are the, the, this is the solid food that he wants us to go on uh, uh, in terms of understanding Scripture. And back then, they didn't have the completed canon. They didn't have the Bible as we have it today with the full New Testament, okay? Now, they had letters and things that were inspired by God 
through these inspired authors, but really they had the Hebrew scriptures. They had the Old Testament. So a lot of the deeper teaching, really the basic teaching, is how Christianity explains what the Old Testament is referring to in its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, in the personal work of Christ. And the deeper teachings is just going into more of how the Old Testament points forward to uh, the ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And, and it just goes on and on. And so, um, sorry, the wind knocked me over here. And so the author provides this, this description of spiritual maturity that is both simple and really helpful. Let's look at that. Spiritual maturity is described here as learning by practice and training how to distinguish between good on the one hand and evil on the other hand. Do you remember what Eve really wanted to do? She wanted to grab hold of personal autonomy. She wanted to eat the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because she ultimately, and Adam after her, they ultimately wanted to become their own God, i.e., they wanted to be able to dictate and define for themselves what is good and what is evil. They wanted that wisdom for themselves to become like God in that sense of defining what good and bad. Guys, if, is there anything else that I could possibly say today that's more relevant in our culture today than grabbing through personal autonomy God's exalted role as the one who defines what is good and evil? And that's what we struggle with in our spiritual maturity. And that's why we need practice in this process of learning. Uh, and this has both an intellectual and a moral sense to it. What I mean is it involves our thought life, our intellect, but it also involves moral aspects. Uh, uh, it's the idea of distinguishing between good and evil teachings. That's the intellectual side of it. Can we, can we hear teachings and see or read teachings that are purportedly Christian and understand whether they're good or bad? Maybe not even purportedly Christian. Can we, can we hear someone on a podcast or through a book or some show we're watching and understand the difference between good and bad teaching? Sometimes we can't. But, but that's the intellectual side. The moral side is, is distinguishing between good and evil moral decisions. Do we know what thoughts and actions and words are good or evil based on God's definitions and standards? A lot of the times we don't. That's part of our spiritual maturity that, we, that we're overcoming one Bible scholar, a guy named Ray Stedman, he's passed away, but he speaks of, of those who by persistent obedience to the truth, that is so clutch here, and we see it going, the, going uh, sideways with the story of Adam and Eve, but through persistent obedience to the truth, these people are able to grasp such solid food and will give evidence of it in wise and wholesome conduct. Do you see how it plays out in our life? If we can, if we can imbibe, if we can uh, nourish, be nourished on the solid food, it's going to come out in our life. It's going to bear fruit. And he calls it um, the evidence he calls wise and wholesome conduct. And he goes on to say this. They will identify evil as evil, even when it looks good. Even when it's counterintuitive and everything in you says that's good. But you look at God's word and God's standards and you go, no, 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 that's evil. And then he goes on to say uh, that they'll also uh, follow good because it is good, 
even when it looks evil, even when the culture says that if you say that, if you live like that, if you teach that, then you are evil, that you are hateful, that you are a hate monger, monger. Even when it looks evil in the eyes of a cultural, secular worldview, we know that it's good and we follow it and we live in accordance with it because we know it's good, because it is good. And our, our senses, our faculties have been trained through that, that practice and that process of maturity. Every Christian can choose a path of spiritual progress that leads to this sort of spiritual maturity that's characterized by the ability to discern between good and evil and the ever-deepening understanding of God's Word. Um, guys, I would appreciate your prayers for Dad. Uh, and I checked this with him before the, the, the service, so he's, he's aware. Um, but we, we transitioned out of home health care this last week, and he started meeting with his uh, speech pathologist, who's great. Uh, he's going to be seeing her for, for the rest of his life. Uh, and I told her she can't move, because that's going to just throw a monkey wrench and everything. But... Um, she was great, but we had a real long two-hour meeting on Friday with her, and, and we're talking about kind of dad's progress and everything. Um, but we would really appreciate your prayers, and I'll explain why. Uh, when dad had his throat surgery, he couldn't use his throat. And so all of his medication, all of his nourishment had to come through a stomach tube. They installed a G-tube, a stomach tube that sits on the top of his stomach. And that's how he got food and water and medication and everything. And the food we got from these dietitians. Uh, was uh, osmolite. It's this. It's these cans of. It's like predigested food. It's like these cans that are chocked full of vitamins and minerals and calories. And he was taking six of them through his tube every day, and it was keeping his calories up. And he was he was healthy in that sense and everything else. Well, that was supposed to be a temporary thing. Eventually, uh, based on what the ENT tells us, they want Dad to prove that now that he can use his neck and his neck is fully healed and thank you for your prayers on that but now that he can use his throat and take in nourishment orally we need to make that transition and and he can drink and he can take his pills and everything orally but they want him to yeah thank you yes huge but that means that it's time to get that stomach tube out and they want him to be able to take three meals a day uh, every day for at least two weeks and, and just show that he's not going to lose a lot of weight because all those calories and vitamins and minerals, it's hard to replace all that because it's basically just formula, right? Um, there's that fun wind again. Uh, so the idea is that his stomach tube was helpful early on, but now it's a liability. Um, the longer that it stays in, it was funny when we told uh, the speech pathologist on Friday She's like, oh, his tube is still in. And she was a little bit concerned because the longer it stays in, the greater the risk of complications like infection at the site of the tube. So uh, we could really use prayers and encouragement uh, as dad progresses along this pathway to getting all of his calories, all of his vitamins and minerals orally so that he can have that tube removed as soon as possible. And it's no longer a liability for him in terms of his physical health. And that progress that we're praying for, it reminds me of today's passage. As Christians, we begin receiving spiritual milk as we begin learning the basic teachings of Christianity. But in order to understand and apply the deeper teachings of Scripture, we need to progress toward, toward spiritual maturity. And that requires the daily discipline of intentionally practicing and learning how to distinguish between good and evil 
how to, how to discern the difference between correct and incorrect teaching, even if it comes out of my mouth, by the way, or moral or immoral thoughts, words, behaviors. If dad were to remain dependent on tube feedings, he would miss the glory of a well-grilled ribeye steak. And we had a New York strip just the other day, and it was fantastic. And worse yet, he would risk the liability of infection and, and health risks physically. And similarly, folks, if, if we were to remain immature in our Christian faith, in our spiritual life, then we would miss so much of the majesty of God's word, these so-called deeper teachings. We would miss it. And we would open ourselves up to all sorts of spiritual ailments and vulnerabilities. But that never has to be the case. Every Christian can choose a path of spiritual progress from the starting line all the way to the finish line when we die or Jesus Christ comes back to get us. For the purpose of applying these last two uh, verses, I want to use some guidelines that were developed by that guy I just quoted, Ray Steadman, in, uh, in his teaching in a book he wrote on the, the, the book of Hebrews. And this is what Ray Steadman writes, and I don't know how it's going to come up because it's a lot of text. You're magical, Martine. I trust that it will. Otherwise, just listen. But these are the, this is what he writes. He says, he says, how do Christians train themselves to be able to understand the teaching about righteousness? The steps are the same in any age, he writes. And I want to go through these four steps. Number one. He says, begin with truth that you already know, but have not been obeying. Does God want you to stop some activity you know to be wrong? Does scripture exhort you to change your attitude, forgive someone, reach out with help to another? No further light will be given until you begin to obey the light that you already have. That's just a principle of scripture, folks. Number two. Review the promises of God for help from on high to obey his word. In other words, God promises in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. Part of his priestly role is to give us help from on high in obeying his promises, in obeying his commandments, and in, 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 uh, in applying his promises. So claim those promises for yourself. And then number four, Follow this procedure whenever you become aware of areas of your life and, and your thinking that need to be changed. Anytime you become aware of these areas of life or thinking that need to be changed, follow this procedure. This is the constant use which will enable one to grow and to handle the solid food of the teaching about righteousness. And then he quotes Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Then... Paul writes, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Folks, we are in the middle. We're in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of spiritual warfare. And if we don't realize that, then we're, we're going 
we are, whether we realize that or not, we're going to be constantly barraged by what Paul here calls winds of false teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. And if we don't understand that, then we don't stand a chance of persevering, much less growing in our faith, much less helping others to persevere and grow in their faith as well. So what's stopping us? I'll just say this in conclusion. What, what is stopping us from becoming a church that's filled to the brim with mature believers who are learning more and more about God's word and teaching more and more to less mature believers and even non-believers? According to our passage today, one of the biggest threats to realizing this vision for Wayside or any local church is simply laziness in our spiritual lives. Growing, as the author puts it, dull of hearing and lacking experience in living righteously in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I mentioned earlier, my kids get monthly progress reports on their academic progress. And folks, I wish all of us could similarly get regular progress reports on our spiritual growth and development. But, but wait a minute. Isn't that exactly why Christ calls us to be in God's word regularly and to be regularly in community with other followers of Jesus Christ? That's the role that we have the privilege of, of playing in each other's life is to come alongside and say, hey, you, you, you are doing great. I really see God at work in this area of your life. And to also come alongside, just like the author to Hebrews and say, I'm noticing that there's this area that you don't seem to be doing great in. What's going on there? How can I help you there? How can I pray for you? Even to the point of correction and rebuke, which we're going to see next week. Next week, we are going to tackle one of the most difficult passages in the book of Hebrews, which also happens to be one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. So I would appreciate your prayers as we prepare for next week. Uh, Bow your heads with me. Let me pray for us.